Back on the Fan Morning Show, Justin and Ailish. Sports at 590. The Fan, Blue Jays with a big 7-1 win over the Yankees last night. John Morosi, MLB Network Insider, joins us this morning. John, uh, Yankee Stadium's kind of sleepy and quiet this time of year, is it not? Yes, it is. Ailish and Justin, good morning. It is not exactly the powerhouse Yankees that we have come to expect. Uh, obviously, the Jays will still get a glimpse of Garrett Cole in this series, which will maybe conjure images of when they were a more formidable foe. But this team, and this is where, with, given where the Jays are right now, this is a series that you have to win. So I realize that uh, the Yankees and Yankee Stadium maybe are not as uh, vaunted as they once were. But a very good start to the series last night, nonetheless. Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, from a Blue Jays standpoint, I don't know if we want to put these wins in the bank just yet. But unless it's Garrett Cole, I think you're definitely going to favor the Blue Jays uh, with that atmosphere against a team that looks uh, just inferior, flat out, uh, at this point. And it's weird seeing the Yankees like this, right? Like, I I don't know how long they're going to sit on their hands and wait for something to happen, wait for guys who may or may not be anything to actually have uh, an impact on this team. So what do you expect in the offseason from them? Like, I don't know if Cashman's going, I don't know if Boone's going, but it doesn't matter unless you have uh, an injection of talent, I would think. Uh, is Trout an option? Otani? Like, are they going to go out there and make something happen this offseason? Well, it's a really important question, and and certainly for the Yankees and the, and the pressure that they're under, I think we have to remember a couple things. Number one, they did go out and hand out the largest free agent contract in baseball last offseason in Aaron Judge, and then one of the largest pitching contracts, too, with Carlos Rodon. And and uh, certainly Judge, when healthy, has been basically the player that he was a year ago. He's got 32 homers in 97 games, which if you project that over a full season, uh, gets him into the high 50s. So Judge has been Judge when healthy. And then Rodon, obviously, has been a disappointment. And I think that, to me, is one of the most important things to point out is just uh, when you spend that amount of money uh, into the nine figures and Rodon has given them three wins and an ERA close to six, it's just really hard, even if you're the Yankees, to overcome that. They've had a number of different issues, obviously, with their rotation. Guys who have missed time to injury. Herman, of course, has taken a leave. So there's there's a lot of different reasons why they've been so inconsistent. I, I, but we talk about Trout, and, and I do think, as, as the Angels have um, acknowledged, at least privately, and, and it's been reported that they'll they'll entertain the possibility of moving Trout, which is is big news. I mean, Mike Trout is still Mike Trout, but you think about how often he has played, and 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 the Yankees' issues of a lack of reliability with their star players, and with Mike Trout playing 82 games this season after playing 36 games two years ago. And he's now getting up into his 30s. He's 32 years old. He's under contract through through 2030. I, I'm just not sure if that's the play that you want to make uh, in terms of adding that much payroll for someone who's been pretty inconsistent. Do you do you bet on on Cody Bellinger's big year and, and sign him? Bring him back. Of course, he's the the son of a former Yankee. At the end of the day, what I see with this team is the the group of young players who have come up. And and to much fanfare, whether it's Anthony Volpe or Oswald Peraza, Oswaldo Cabrera, Jason Dominguez was up for a for a week and then injured. It, when you rely on young players this much because your veterans are getting hurt and aren't producing, the young players got to be able to deliver right away. 
And that hasn't been the case. So uh, there's a gap where this next wave of talent should be. They tried to spend a bunch last offseason. I'm not sure if the, the, the unfulfilling contract for Carlos Rodon, if the remedy for that is just spend more money because uh, it really seems like the infrastructure of this team is not as sound as it should be. You can't feel sorry for the Yankees, but I kind of feel sorry for the Yankees. I mean, just they just feel like they're in a pretty dark spot. But enough about them. The Toronto Blue Jays have the third best record in the American League. This after getting swept last week by the Texas Rangers. It's almost unfathomable that they've turned things around so quickly here. And it's not just them. I mean, things happening around them. But I don't know what to make of the fact that the Blue Jays have the third best record. I don't know what to make about the last week because clearly they played a good team and were embarrassed. And now they've beat up on what used to be good teams, but now are bad teams. So what do you make of the last week for the Toronto Blue Jays? Have we learned anything? And are they really the third best team in the American League? Well, they are right now on record, and I think that one thing I'll point out that has happened in the last week, we talk so much, whether it's the NHL playoffs or this time of the baseball season, your best players need to be your best players. And look at Vladdy over the last week. He's got an OPS above 1,000. He's hit three homers. That's at the risk of oversimplifying a very nuanced six-month season. Vladdy has played like an all-star again for the last week, and look at what's happened. It is, it's remarkable what he does to lift the entire lineup. And I think offensively they've gotten some good support. You know, Varsho has been better of late. Uh, Kirk has had some better at-bats as well. Uh, Chapman's return, I think, has made an impact. I know that overall numbers aren't, aren't there, but they, they look more like themselves. And it's funny, I, I think I was on, uh, on the radio last week in Seattle. It might have been on the same day that I, that I talked with, with you on the show. And, and the, the Mariners, of course, are their focus. And, and the host said, well, okay, well, well how, how confident should the Mariners be? And basically I said, well, I was just on the Fan 590 this morning, and I was given assurances based on what everybody said. The Jays are not going to win another game this whole year. They're, just, they're totally done after the series against Texas. And look at how they've played since then. That's the beauty of baseball. It just it turns right around for you. So I, I think what what we've seen with this team, if anything, while it feels like a dramatic turn, it has actually affirmed everything that I that I think we've talked about all season long, which is the pitching is going to be there. Uh, and obviously, uh, last night a bit of a, a nervous moment there with the early exit for a starting pitcher. But uh, when the pitching is there and consistent, you just need a little bit of offense, and you're going to be just fine. And over the last week, or at least since the Rangers series, they've had good pitching and just enough offense, and they've been just fine. And so when when they play like this, they are, as you point out, uh, very clearly the, the third best team in the American League. You're not alone on the uh, roller coaster of Blue Jays' emotions and takes. So, you know, that account, Freezing Cold Takes, could have had a couple of our quotes over the last little while. But <laughs> Blue Jays, keep it interesting. How about that, John? Uh, we're talking to John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. I want to ask you about Shohei Otani. So, underwent a successful elbow surgery on Tuesday. So, ending his season, of course, we knew that. But uh, looks like he'll be ready to hit starting opening day of 2024, but won't pitch until 2025. Now, obviously, the big question is how this impacts his impending free agency, also impacts what kind of contract we might be looking forward to him signing or maybe waiting to sign a monster monster one uh, how do you think this unfolds for Shohei this offseason hey, it's just it's a fan, it's just really a for me a, a fascinating question because I, I look at this team 
and, and what the Angels might do with him, obviously going to the offseason, and what Shohei is wanting, is wanting to do. And I, I look at the, the signals here over the last couple of weeks, the, the surgery that he had, obviously by the Dodgers team physician, uh, mm-hmm. file that note away <laughs> as you think about that going forward. But for me, it, it looks like there, there may be a deal. There's one or two paths for him. Either he goes with a two-year deal and two-year deal only. I want just the best two-year deal I can sign that allows me to, to hit only in, in 24 and then do both in 25 and then re-enter the open market as a true unfettered free agent after two years. You could do that. Or uh, you could have the longer-term deal that allows you to opt out, which is sort of the very en vogue process. Or I guess the third option is you have a a guaranteed two-year deal that becomes the longer-term deal if you hit a certain number of starts in 2025. Mm -hmm. That would be the more club-friendly iteration of this idea. The player-friendly iteration of it is give them the eight years or ten years and then include the opt-outs that basically make it very risky for the team, or where the team assumes all the downside risk of, uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that and nobody wants this, but if, if, it, if the surgery doesn't work out as well from a pitching perspective, then, then basically you're stuck paying a DH 40 or $50 million a year. Uh, and that doesn't really make a lot of sense, no matter who, how famous the DH is. So it is, Ailish, I think one of the more – I mean, it is the most fascinating off-season story that I have ever encountered in my career covering baseball for a couple decades. And it's going to be so interesting because at the end of the day, I think the one thing that we've seen with Shohei is that obviously the money will, will be important on some level, but it's never been the sole motivating factor for him. He, he came over to the Angels and, and he left a ton of money on the table. If he just waited two more years, he could have made a, a huge sum of money on his entry contract. And that wasn't really what he was trying to do. He was trying to, to, to make the greatest impact that he could, to, to go to a place where he could hit and pitch, and, and he's done that. And now I think he, he wants to go to a place where he can get healthy and has the best-in-class rehabilitation process behind him. Um, again, I'll mention it was the Dodgers mm-hmm. team physician who did the surgery. I, I still think that uh, where this thing was three months ago when he was at the peak of his powers was, you know what, there's probably a pretty good chance he signs with the Dodgers. And here we are in the late days of September, one surgery later, it's probably still a pretty decent chance he signs with the Dodgers. At, at the end of the day, that it's both the most obvious and probably the most likely outcome here. Um, given all the things the Dodgers can offer. And the most important thing they offer, Ailish, is that they win. They win every single year. And I, I think Shohei is done with, you know, complicated teams that have older players and are sort of uh, incoherent in the way that they're going about things. So that, to me, says no thanks, Angels, no thanks, Padres, no thanks, Mets, no thanks, Yankees. He wants to go to a place where he knows he can win right away. He's done with the rest of the stuff, and that's why I think the Dodgers still have the best chance no matter what the actual contract looks like. It was funny. We were chatting with Stan Kasten uh, maybe like a week or two ago, and I floated the idea, and he was very tight-lipped, but he didn't say no. He said, well, you know, you know how it is, rumors percolating, Alicia. 
said, okay, we'll see, we'll see. But I mean, when you put the put the cards together, they seem to, to make sense there for Shoyo Otani. Uh, chatting with John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Uh, we'll stick with pitching. Um, Steele and Snell, uh, the NL Cy Young. Uh, last night, Snell with seven hitless innings. So he's helping keep that um, race nice and tight. But is there a lean for you? These guys going head to head down the stretch. Is it going to come down to maybe the last couple outings that they have? Because this is the most interesting Cy Young race, I, I think, personally. I agree, and for me, it's it's Snell right now, based on what he's been able to do. Uh, he does he does have just a slight edge in innings pitched over over Steele. Obviously, Steele could potentially pass him by here in, in in the coming days. I I just think that Snell has been a little bit more dominant uh, when, when you look at his his strikeout rate. It's just it's off the charts, strikeouts per nine. Um, you could argue as well. You know, Strider I think has still has an interesting case. It's interesting actually. The the big picture here. Is Zach Wheeler leads in, in wins above replacement among all pitchers. I, I still think, though, it's Snell is the choice. This is one of the more wide-open NL Cy Young races that I have seen. Uh, and, and so I, I would give the slight edge to Snell. Steele, though, would be a great choice as well. I, I don't really think there's a bad answer here. Uh, I Interestingly, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I am an American League Cy Young voter this year. I purposely don't... Uh, do not really dive in too much on the numbers on the uh, on the awards that I vote on until really like the last week of the year because I never want to get uh, any preconceived notion and of course you're you're always like sworn to secrecy on what you do with it so it's it's fun I, I'm kind of looking at the NL side I'm like that's a really tough ballot the American <laughs> League you got a couple interesting guys to think about too but uh, I I look I look across the the way there and say ooh NL Cy Young interesting that's a bit a tough ballot to have AL MVP that's a tough ballot to have, I mean, although I think Otani probably still wins that one. Uh, the Cy Young vote, though, is going to be interesting. I, I was I was once Alish, a Detroit voter, Detroit-based voter who voted for David Price over Justin Verlander, and that was the single deciding vote in in David Price winning it over oh, wow. Verlander. And and Alish, let's say this: I, you know how competitive Justin Verlander is. I'll leave you with this: Do you think? Do you think Justin maybe has mentioned this to me a couple times over the years? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Probably. <laughs> it, it is. It has come up, and, and you know it's interesting. These the, the, the yearly awards, the, the the voting is all public. And I remember, I like it was like Thanksgiving week when when the vote totals came out, and David. David won the the vote over Justin by again one vote it was the closest vote in the history of the, of the award, and uh, I talked to my my late grandfather. I called him. I said, hey, "Pap, pap, I, I think I think I cost Verlander the Cy Young," and uh, and he said, "Oh, son, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, it's 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 a secret ballot, and you voted your conscience, and I'm proud of you, and, and no one's gonna know." I said, "Actually, pap, pap, everybody knows," and my phone's blowing up, and so he was out. He's like, "Oh, darn it, John. Well, it's okay. You can still come to Thanksgiving. It's pretty funny, but uh, no, it's uh, these." awards that they matter a lot and uh, it's an honor to have the ballot and I've, I've got a lot of homework to do here in the next couple of weeks uh yeah and, and what matters uh at least to snell is interesting right because he's been i guess the knock on him is the innings but you mentioned steel you know still trying to catch him in innings but they don't push him right and he's he's holding the Rockies hitless, got a no hitter through seven right. and they still don't push him. I mean, what, I don't know what San Diego's playing for, but like at this point, why not let him try to, to complete the no hitter last night? Right. I, it's, it's a fair question. I, I do wonder if there are, 
guidelines, perhaps, uh, through through uh, Blake's representation. Uh, we all may have heard about him. His name is Mr. Boris from Newport Beach, mm-hmm. California. And so uh, there, there may be, in general, some guidelines behind what Blake's pitch count should be. And, uh, and I think for him, the goal is to stay healthy and be able to hit the pot of gold this offseason. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's a chance at history if they let him keep going. He was okay with it in his comments after the game. I think that was important to hear from Blake. But look at big picture here. The, the, the universe of starters who have won a Cy Young in both leagues is, is very small. And, and Blake Snell could do it. That's pretty remarkable when you consider his career uh we often think back to the world series in 20 and he was pulled early in that game uh we still talk about that years later but he's had a great season a great career and if he enters free agency having having won the Cy Young in both leagues uh that's going to be a pretty compelling thing for scott to put on the 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 free agent sizzle reel it's going to be a really interesting market you know you mentioned earlier the the Yankees and the Mets with the new president of baseball operations and where they're going. The Dodgers have to get some pitching. The Cardinals have to get some pitching. This is this is the optimal off season to be a free agent pitcher and just to, if you get yourself to the to the market. And again, think about you know a couple months ago we would have said, well, everybody's going to wait for Otani before anything else happens. Now Otani is almost he almost becomes the luxury item that you consider. Maybe he signs later on in the off season. But I think you could see there's a universe in which Aaron Nola and, and Snell, um, Giolito, others maybe sign earlier because that part of the market's a little more clarified. And I, I think Snell's going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries of that. That's the power of Boris, I guess. I mean, you're, you're a pending uh, free agent. You're like, you know what? I'll just go maximum twice through the order just to make sure that I don't have any uh, crooked numbers on that. That's, that's, uh, that's right. That's pretty good uh, in terms of strategy uh, for the Boris camp. Uh, John, are you as offended as we are that Yusei Kikuchi gets 14 hours of sleep before a workday? I am. Uh, I guess I'll say this: if if he's able to if he's able to get that amount of sleep, I, I mean, I, I'm lucky that if I <laughs> if if I've got like a three day span, yeah, and that's, that's how much sleep I get. Yeah. Uh, no, he's he's for me. Whatever your routine ends up being, I I, I would say this: when when he pitches a day game, uh, you, you start doing the math, and he's probably he's probably in bed by the end of the second inning of the previous night's game, uh, which is hey, he's he's able to wind down, sleep as we as we've learned is one of the most important things for all of us, and especially in athletic performance. And, and uh, we think about hockey and, and the, 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 the sanctity of the pregame nap and how important rest is. So I think he's unlocked something that's pretty important. And I say, you say, if you're able to get 14 hours, my friend, more power to you. And I, I wish I could be more like you. Last one for you, John. Uh, really nice story in the MLB the other night. Uh, Adam Wainwright getting his 200th win after a long time coming. 18 professional yes. season, seasons, three All-Stars, two Gold Gloves, a World Series championship, and finally his 200th career win. Obviously one of the biggest competitors and guys that wanted to grind it out, and he finally got that 200th win. Uh, what was that moment like? I mean, it, putting it in perspective, someone that worked so hard to get something of that uh, level and that magnitude and the team helping him get there. Yeah, Elisha, it's an awesome, awesome story for Adam. Uh, thrilled for him. He's such a first-class guy. He's a former Clemente Award winner, which I think is the most important line of, 
of any bio for a player when you think about what he's done off the field and, and what he's represented in his community. Uh, and broadly speaking, he's, he's got a big heart, and he's, he's a great pitcher. Uh, I think that if he had ended his career with, with 198 or 199, I think there, there would have been a lot of a lot of people, you know, heartbroken for him around the game. So to see him, even in a year in which he's not been competitively the guy that he's been for a long time, to find a way that, as as he said after the game, to be himself for one more night, it's it's that's like for love of the game movie stuff uh, for for Adam to do that in a one nothing game. You know, he's someone that's pitched a number of one nothing games in his in his career for it to be in a one nothing game. I think just says a lot about him and and how, how perfect he had to be for that amount of time and the respect on the Brewer side. Just a great story. You know, he he was able to, to pitch for Team USA at the World Baseball Classic this year after 20 years. Previously, he was cut from the Olympic qualifying team in 2003. And he was able to finally represent his country in that way. He's just, it's a storybook uh, ending to his career. And you, you look at his numbers. He, he, I mentioned to, to Blair and Barker yesterday, it's, it's pretty comparable to, to what Roy Halladay did. And, and you don't necessarily think about him in the same category of the dominance of, of Doc at his peak, but, but look at the totality of the numbers. He actually has more strikeouts than Halladay did with a pretty similar ERA, pretty similar win total. Uh, I, I, for me, I, I think he's all a famer, and we're changing, obviously, the, the, the metrics. It's not 300 wins anymore. It's just not realistic. So I'm not going to hold up Adam Wainwright or C.C. Sabathia to the standards of Walter Johnson and Christy Matheson. It's a different game. And, and I think that Adam has helped define his era, the most frequently utilized battery in the history of the game with him and Yachty. So uh, just a tremendous citizen on and off the field. Uh, and you could just tell that the outpouring of support from people around the game for him, how much he's respected within the, uh, the, the community of players. So just uh, thrilled for Adam and his family. Great family man. So it was, just, uh, it was a really, really proud moment, I think, for the game to see Adam get 200. Yeah, it was really cute to see his son Caleb there on the podium or under the podium. Yeah, after, uh, <laughs> it was really what sweet. What a great photo that was by, by Derek Gould. Well done by Derek to get that moment. Just uh, Again, he's, he's a proud dad above all else, and so that was a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, it was uh, a really nice story in baseball uh, to follow over the last little while, and congrats to him for getting that big elusive 200th win. Uh, John, appreciate you jumping on this morning. Great to catch up, and hopefully we got more Blue Jays baseball to talk about down the road. Yes, indeed, Ailes and Justin. I can't wait for that. I got. Some, I think we've got some NHL preseason oh, games do. coming up too. We'll, have to, we'll be checking in on, on, on how, the, how the wings are looking and how you know the, the leaves are the measuring stick for them. Can can they find a way? So we'll we'll be comparing uh, those two teams a lot. I'm sure this season. We certainly will be. Uh, we'll chat soon with you, John. Thanks so much for getting up for us. Sounds Thank great. you. Thanks so much, John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Um, interesting about the Dodgers doctor being the one that gave Shohei. The surgery. Mm. I mean, it's not nothing. It wasn't the Blue Jays doctor. It wasn't the Oakland Athletics doctor. Do is they have like, one? Is that like a? Is that a? I don't know. It's it's conflict com- of it's interest. Obviously complicated. Conflict of interest. Like I mean, you would hope not. I don't even want to go there. But like, is that a tough look for the Angels? Oh, uh, the uh, we got to go to the uh, real LA team for the uh, procedure. I'm sure that they have the best of the best in everything. The Dodgers, I'm sure they were more than happy to sneak him in there, front of the line in the U.S. Uh, surgery rankings yeah. and say, you're up next, buddy. I don't, I don't think the money was an issue. Not at all. Um, okay, before we talk to Luke Fox about today's media day, just around the corner with the Maple Leafs, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, this is a weird one. Um, the Larry OB, like, locked up, not able for the... Uh, 
the defending champs. What? The Denver Nuggets. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Apparently, um, a Nuggets spokesperson told the Toronto Star on Monday that the Larry O'Brien trophy has remained under the watchful eye of the ownership at Denver since June 15th. Quote, our owners have had it under lock and key since we won and no players or staff are allowed to take it anywhere. Nuggets Media Relations Director Nick O'Hare or Hare, wrote in a statement. The players don't take the trophy like the Stanley Cup. It doesn't make rounds or get passed around. But contrary to that, several NBA championships and teams have allowed their players to take the Larry OB to their hometowns. Uh, Spurs started it in 2014. Wiggins has brought it to Vaughn, etc., Marie was supposed to bring it back to Kitchener, but apparently it doesn't travel. It's very, very strange. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can re- – not that they care. But you can't recreate what the NHL has at the Stanley Cup. Of course, Stanley Cup parties, it's different. Uh, and I haven't really even thought about the Larry OB traveling at all. But to keep it under lock and key – like, it would be one thing if it was just like, no, nah, we'll just, you know, we'll keep it here. But it's like, no, no one even gets to see it, despite your involvement mm-hmm. in helping us win this. I, I like it. My first thought is, are they doing, like, stadium tours where you can come see it? They're trying oh, to make money God. off it? Like, what's, what would you even be, the, do what would be the justification in going out there and winning this thing and not letting it see daylight? I don't have, I don't know what justification there is at all. It's been done before by other franchises. It's come to Canada. Why isn't it coming to Kitchener? Justice for Kitchener. Justice for Jamal yeah. to bring it back home. It's really it's strange, strange to me. It's if it, it'd be different if they've never taken it. Like you win the trophy and you never it never goes anywhere. But the fact that other teams have allowed their or players, or the NBA didn't allow it to go anywhere because it's whatever. It's special. That they, don't they don't have don't a keeper it, of the cup. They don't want it dented like the Stanley Cup has been dented, and you know whatever. It's fixable. It We've is, seen the Stanley but, Cup dropped and fallen well, apart. The, that's the charm of the Stanley Cup in a way. It's seen some stuff. But maybe the original Larry OB, they want to keep in pristine condition. But that's not the case. We'll give them a fake one. Andrew Wiggins had it in Vaughn. Probably got dinged up there. Yeah, you think? I mean, the Larry OB is a nice looking trophy, but you can't do much with it, right? It's You're not crushing beers or putting cereal in it. It's a different type of vibe. It doesn't apply to cereal. But you don't think that the the people that helped Jamal Murray get to an NBA championship, the people in Kitchener, his family, his friends want to at least get a photo with it, see it, touch it, get a photo with him in it, or even see it in person. Like, you don't even have to touch it. Just know that that is the trophy that he worked his whole life to get. It's just weird to me. It's a weird power dynamic thing. Weird, weird, weird. Find out more. The Larry OB case. What's going on? Uh, Luke Fox will join us after the break. NHL reporter for here us uh, for us here at Sportsnet. As we mentioned today is Leafs Media Day. Uh, it will begin around nine thirty a.m. We will have coverage on our secondary Sportsnet stream. Our um, best Sportsnet five ninety. The fan has two streams, uh, alternate stream. You can check that out around nine thirty. Now we'll have that. Uh, we'll have JD's show still on as normal, and the. Uh, Blue Jays, uh, Jays Talk Plus still on as normal, but you can catch that starting at 9.30 on the alternate stream. We'll hear from John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley, Brad Trey Living, and Sheldon Keefe. And then after Media Day wraps up, you can stay locked in at five, uh, Sports Night 590 The Fan for in-depth reaction with Jesse Rubinoff and Sam McKee. That will start at noon on Sportsnet today. So you can do both. You can listen to what the Maple Leafs have to say on the podium, and we'll chat with Luke Fox, who will be there to ask the hard-hitting questions after the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Unofficial start to the Leafs 2023-24 season begins today with their annual media day down at Ford Performance Center. We're going to hear from some of the faces of the Maple Leafs, Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Riley, Trey Living, Keefe, and Luke Fox, our NHL reporter at Sportsnet. Luke, happy kind of start to everything kicking up once again. Yeah, it's starting to feel like the first day of school. <laughs> right, Right back at it. You got your hard-hitting um, questions ready? Oh, I'll figure them out on the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, it's it, it's fun. Uh, it, it felt, you know, we got a little taste of it because a bunch of us reporters were down at the Maple Leafs golf tournament mm. out in, in Milton um, a couple days ago. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, after the first real proper NHL summer because of all of those pandemic summers they're really short so a uh, nice long break i think has everyone feeling a little bit more refreshed and, and ready to go for a new uh, season first day of school vibes i guess we got to ask yeah. was there a highlight of summer uh for you luke ah uh, there was there was a few i think the fact that i i didn't get on an airplane was was really nice mm. and got on a golf course many times um so that 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 was fun just lots of time also catching up with uh, my non-hockey friends was was good because I have kinda, those. I, I I do have those. I, I had a life before this, <laughs> um, so it, but I kind of end up ignoring them because right, it's a lot of nights, a lot of weekends, and not a lot of time to hang out with uh, my my friends who don't care about what I do. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, uh, nice relaxing summer. There you go. And if I remember correctly, you went through the gauntlet where it was like Nashville and Vegas mm-hmm. and Florida and all that in June. So uh, definitely rest was uh, important. Maybe not you say Kikuchi level rest where it's 14 hours a night of, of shut eye, uh, but rest nonetheless. Okay. So what do you, um, what do you expect from today? I think it's a vibes day, right? Like it's a feeling day. It's it's you got to be there to kind of understand what it actually feels like. And I think it's going to be a little bit different than last year for a variety of reasons. Namely, that Austin Matthews is not going to be asked about his contract 10 mm-hmm. months before he can actually sign a new one. And guess what? He has a contract, so we didn't need to worry all that much back then. Of course, the Nylander thing uh, sort of hovers over everything. But I think the biggest thing that might influence vibes is that, hey, this is not Kyle Dubas's team anymore. This is Brad Living's team. So when you are making predictions or thinking about your ride-in and your questions, what do you think about how it's going to feel? Do you think it's going to feel materially different? Does the first-round series victory kind of provide them with something that resembles a reprieve? What do you expect in terms of the feeling today at Leafs Media Day? Yeah, I, you know what? I'm a little bit worried that it, it doesn't gonna. It isn't gonna feel different enough. I mean, the, when you look at it, the biggest change they made is general manager, and that's a significant one to be sure. But a lot of the faces are the same, right? Like if you were to ask me um, that night at Scotiabank Arena when they lost Game Five to the Florida Panthers, and Radical Gudis is screaming his face off, and Matthew Kachuk is is laughing and smiling and coming into the media room with a pack of sushi and just on top of the world. Uh, I would not have imagined that they'd be running it back with the same core four, core five. If you want to throw in Morgan Riley, uh, the same coach, uh, a lot of the a lot of the same faces, and it's essentially the same team. Um, you know, Brad Living kind of put his stamp on it on the fringes of the roster, trying to mostly add a little bit of grit, as Ryan Reeves was saying earlier this week, with himself and 
Max Domi and, and Tyler Bertuzzi. But the core is, is very much the same, and it has been for years and years now. Um, you know, I think maybe, uh, like you said, that there might be a little bit of, of lightness, the fact that, that we're not going to be talking about this team can't win around. But there's still that feeling like they haven't done enough damage in comparison to the talent on the roster. Uh, so you know, there's not a ton of question marks at this camp. Like if you look at if you look at the goaltending, we can pretty much say who's going to be the number one, two, and three. If you look at the defense, we know who the top six are. Uh, we pretty much know who ten or the or eleven of the forwards that are absolute locks for the roster. So there's there's a little bit less intrigue in this one. But I am kind of curious to to hear, you know, how the questions get answered because this is a day where uh, more media than than normal sh- come up and show up, and, and sometimes you get some some wild questions. So, but <laughs> I am curious to see how it goes for sure. Well, you've done a bunch of these, and I wonder uh, if it's common to not hear from Brandon Shanahan. Is that something that is just the way of life on a Leafs media day, or something specific to this year? Um. No, I think he has spoken in the past, but I mean, generally, um, it, it's not you know completely abnormal for mm-hmm. for the president not to talk on media day. Uh, I think that the more curious thing that that sounded off alarm bells was and ended up being the drama that led into the summer was the fact that he didn't talk on locker cleanout mm-hmm. day. Uh, you know, back in the back in the spring, um, that was that was like what's going on here and eventually we found out what why that was but that was really atypical this is this is not so abnormal i, I can't i my memory doesn't serve me correctly but i'm not so sure that he, he spoke on opening day uh last fall yeah we were both there last year and i'm having trouble remembering but it seems like shanahan serves a purpose when he talks it's to answer for something and maybe that's kind of the vibe he's already answered for the situation and now it's about moving forward and the slate is kind of clean here with we living and with keith and with you know despite it not being that much change there is some sort of uh restart or reset here under true living and for that reason it doesn't seem like you know uh the wolves or the pitchforks or the torches are out or have to be out because things are kind of settled after it was settled over uh the summer okay so william nylander that's the only thing that's not settled really mm-hmm. um we know Nylander. We know how he answers questions. I'm sure things won't change that much, and I think we should take it at face value when he says and tells our Elliot Friedman that, yeah, Toronto's the spot for him. That's where he <laughs> wants to be. I think all we really get from Nylander are truths. Uh, but do you think that the noise will impact things, whether it impact how he conducts himself with the media, whether it will impact his performance? Like, What do you expect from the Nylander story and the specter of the contract and everything that goes into being that sort of player without a contract in a market like this one. Well, th- this is what I would say is one of Nylander's best friends in the, in the whole league is David Pasternak. And David Pasternak also plays in, in a pretty intense market. Uh, Boston has, you know, pretty close to just as many um, reporters following that team, wherever they go as, as the Leafs do. And he was in the exact same situation last fall, you know, pending unrestricted free agent, uh, arguably, well, Pasternak for sure was, and, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Nylander is, or, or is, you know, right up there with probably the most coveted free agent, uh, pending free agent heading into this season. And, you know, Pasternak, it, it didn't bother him. And, and I think Nylander is kind of very similar in that way, just his demeanor. I think if anyone could take it, 
he did, he can. Uh, I don't think he's, you know, his production is going to suffer. Uh, he'll answer some questions about it when he talks, um, which will probably be tomorrow for the first time. It's my understanding he's not going to talk today. Um, so for sure he's going to have to field some questions about it. But after a while, when you start getting the same answer that I want to stay in Toronto, and I believe him, and I want to, you know, I'm I'm here for this year, and we'll see how it plays out, and I'm in no rush. And uh, you, you stop asking the question every single day because you, you know the answer until something pops up, like if, if there's a trade rumor or something, it's not doesn't become relevant on a day to day basis. And I, I think he'll be fine with it. And you know, I think he's you know confident in himself. 40-goal season, coming off his best regular season ever, uh, has produced pretty steadily in the postseason, has shown up for the big moments just as much or, or maybe more in recent years than some of the other guys in that dressing room. And, uh, you know, he's going to get paid, whether it's by the Leafs or whether it's by someone else next July 1, he's going to get paid. And I think if trade or, or something drastic was going to happen, it probably would have happened already. Trey Living has said uh, in the past that he likes to build his teams in the summer. And, you know, the fact that he's he's brought Nylander this far, it leads me to believe that he's looked at his salary cap number, 6.9, and said 40 goal scores, 6.9, we're going for it this year. Maybe there's just value in that. And maybe we try to find some common ground later down the road because right now the gap's too big. Chatting with Luke Fox ahead of Maple Leafs Media Day. Um, so yesterday, Elliot Friedman in his latest 32 Thoughts, the column, not the podcast, wrote about William <laughs> Nylander possibly being deployed at center from time to time. Now, obviously, with the pending uh, off-season decisions ahead, it could influence his contract in maybe a positive way, but maybe a negative way. How do you think he would feel about being deployed as a centerman and maybe that having to be on the third line? Yeah, I mean, he, he's fine with it. He, he's, you know, when you when you talk to him, he's, he's done it before, and he says he's completely fine. And already, you know, the they alternate face-offs, right? Strong side, weak side when he's playing with, with Tavares or Matthews. So he's used to starting his shifts in the middle. My main concern or question is, uh, does he have the, the defensive mindset, the, the back-checking diligence to be um, a center day in and day out? I mean, he, he can do it, you know, in spots if there's an injury or, or they need him to. But I, I think it's a good challenge for him, and then maybe that's how they position it. You know, I think one thing, you know, I was talking earlier about how not really not a whole lot has changed. I think one thing that will change is how guys are deployed, how Keith attacks this lineup, because he's his main sounding board now is a different guy. You know, Dubas and, and Keith kind of got into this rhythm and um, some might say a bit of a rut. Uh, Trey Living comes at this team with fresh eyes and. That's one of the things that, that we've heard is that maybe Trey Living wants to see some different things, some different combinations. I'm sure maybe he'd like to see if Nylander's up for it. And, you know, when Keith approached Nylander with trying to kill some penalties, getting a little bit, bit of more PK time in the past, he was up for it and he took it as a challenge. And, and maybe that happens at center too. I, I'm really curious. I think that's, it's not who's going to make the team. I think it's more how the pieces are going to fit. So if Nylander gets some run at center, does that mean Tavares is on the wing? Or does that mean Nylander's a, a three seed? Uh, we're going to have to find out. And I'm sure you guys know how Keith works. I'm sure we're going to see a few different incarnations of this. But that's one thing I'm curious. Max Domi plays a little center. Where does he end up? Is he wing or center? I like him more on the wing. But um, I think that'll be more the 
the storyline during camp as it unfolds is is how are, how are the combinations going to shake out, uh, and are the Leafs going to have kind of a different plan of attack than they have in the past? Uh, insulating John Tavares is uh, something that's maybe not top of mind, but of mind uh, for the Maple Leafs and has been for a couple seasons here. What's the best situation to put him in, uh, given that the roster looks a little different now? What do you think the best position to put John Tavares is in for the 2023-24 season? Well, right now I have him as the 2C. But if like someone has to take that spot, right? And is it is it Nylander? Can he do it? If if not, I think that's still the best position because you look below, um, below him in pure centers, and then you got David Camp. Like David Camp is not a top six center, so what's it going to be? I don't like Max Domi more than Tavares as a center, so that's where I have him. I mean, in a perfect world you have another bonafide center. And I think maybe that's where the Nylander conversations have started from. Can we, can we make this guy into an 82 game center? That'll be, a, that'll be a question mark. But right, but right now, I, you know, I think John Tavares is still very responsible. His work ethics off the charts. Is he losing foot speed? Yes. Was his foot speed ever that great? Probably no. Um, so it's one of those things about, you know, what are the other options? And, you know, uh, right now, I think maybe it's Nylander. Otherwise, it's, it's Tavares. Uh, if we're doing the life without Kyle Dubas discussion, I think the most interesting subject is uh, Sheldon Keefe. I, I guess I'm asking you to predict uh, just a little bit. Um, but do you think life is going to be different in any material way, that he's going to project or present himself any differently? Do you think uh, the way he can interact with the media, interact with his players will be different? Like, what are your expect- expectations for Sheldon Keefe, who clearly went from a guy who was definitely worried about his job security a couple months ago to someone who has three years of making money as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs ahead of him? It seems like things have changed, at least in terms of his security uh, tenfold. But the way he operates as head coach of the Maple Leafs, I think that's still a little bit untold. Yeah, and I, you're right. I think it's something for us all to watch, see play out. Uh, you know, I, th- I think there's been a, 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 a nice breath of fresh air, a, a bit of a relief. The, the man thought he was probably getting fired. Like, let's be honest, right? When in, the guy, his number one guy, the guy that hired him, is let go, and there's tons of drama, and the new guy comes in and doesn't immediately give him an, an endorsement, says, oh, well, I want to go through a process. I, I don't want to be hasty, but let's just see how this plays out. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm sure Keith's brain was, was swirling and, and thinking, I, I don't know if I'm going to be here any longer. So for him to go through that, you know, probably uh, very uncomfortable process of having Tree Living ask everyone around the team what they thought of Keith and then spend hours and hours with Keith himself going through everything from, you know, getting to know him as a person to how – how do you like to break out the puck? How do you like to kill penalties and, um, you know, all, all the tactical stuff? And Trey Living came uh, away from those, those sessions with the feelings of this is a smart hockey guy, but he's not stuck in his ways. He's willing to adapt. So I, I think one of the things we're going to see early in the season is, is do the Leafs play a little bit differently? Have they changed their, how they play tactically? Because the personnel hasn't changed all that much. And can Keefe adapt? And and as far as the interactions with the media, that'll be another interesting thing because in the past, you know, whenever he's kind of criticized guys, and, and he, in my mind, I don't even think he's gone that hard after him publicly, um, seldom by name. 
there's been a couple instances where he's kind of walked back those comments. And you wonder if that stemmed from, from Kyle Dubas, you know, if he said, Let, let's go easy on them. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see what, when the first time that things go sideways, how hard does he keep on these guys? And does he take back his comments? I mean, in my mind, this guy's got nothing to lose. He has contract security now. The team needs to perform. He needs to get them to perform. So I think Trey Living is going to give him the green light to do that because his, his job's on the line, even though he has um, you know, contract security through this year and two more. I know you said the personnel hadn't changed much, but new face Ryan Reeves um, already kind of owning some of the media attention. Uh, I believe that was at the golf tournament, so you had seen him there. But, you know, pushing a little bit, they added some snot, as Brad Trey Living had said, with this roster, and he's one of them. Um, but his performance on the ice, like obviously we know what he brings in the locker room. The guys love him, and he's, he's very, very uh, important in that team chemistry. But how do you anticipate what his impact will be, his time on the ice, his workload share, when you look at a full season with a guy who just signed a, a contract with this new t- new club? Yeah, well, it's not going to be much. <laughs> but the, the one thing I would say is he, he understands that. Like you think of some of the other fourth liners that the Leafs have brought in in the past, uh, you know, Joe Thornton comes to mind, mm-hmm. right? He ended up being a fourth liner. Jason Spezza, um, you know, adapted his game, but he ended up on the fourth line. And so they've had fourth liners who have been like former first liners, former power play guys who are getting late in their career. And just to hang on, they have to play fourth line. They have to have reduced minutes. That's quite an adjustment for, for a player. Um, the other cut type of fourth liner they've had is is the Marley call up or the guy who, you know, has aspirations of one day being a top six player who fancies himself a bit of an offensive guy and and you know is is saying well the only way to to get to that is to start on the fourth line and work my way up. At least with Ryan Reeves, he knows what he is. All his teammates know what he is. The the GM, the coach, this guy is a fourth liner. That's it. Um, so he knows his role, and you know I'd say probably more than half of his role has to do with off the ice. And you know, surely there's there's skeptical people out there who roll their eyes and say, okay, so you gave this guy a three-year contract, you're paying him millions of dollars uh, for what he brings to the room. Well, the fact that they did that suggests that there was something in that room that that people weren't happy with. The coach, the GM, they want a louder room already. Ryan Reeves has arrived and he didn't, the only Maple Leafs he knew on this roster was John Klingberg. And he only knew him for a couple of months with the Minnesota wild um, before their season ended. So he's come in and he said, he started chirping people right away. He's getting guys together. They're having beers. This is the first time I've ever heard a Maple Leaf talk about having beers. It's not, <laughs> a, it's not like they haven't before, but this guy, he doesn't care. He just speaks his mind and, and says like, that's important. We need the bond. Um, and we're, we're going to see the impact. You know, it's, it's definitely going to be a little more boisterous room, and I wonder if his impact is more guys feel like they can stand a little taller knowing that Ryan Reeves has his back, and also maybe because Ryan Reeves will go up to them and call them out. He's been in this league 14 years now. If you don't stick up for a teammate, if there's a scrum, I, I could totally see Ryan Reeves behind the scenes, not, not to us reporters, but behind the scenes going up to a guy and saying, that's your teammate, you stick up for him. I think he wants to change the culture uh, around the team a little bit.
I feel like we've already seen it a little bit. Uh, more TikTok presence, more lightness. The guy's having a bit more fun, and I know they have that partnership. But nonetheless, it feels like a little bit of a refreshed look and maybe a lighter look for uh, the Maple Leafs as they head into media day today. Luke, have a fun down there. We'll be listening for you um, on the on our stream today, seeing what hard-hitting questions you've got for the guys. Okay, I'll try to cook something up. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Luke. Enjoy us today. Luke Fox, NHL reporter at Sportsnet. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll have that live coverage at 9.30 a.m. on our Sportsnet 590 The Fan alternate stream. You can find that at sportsnet.ca slash 590 and on the app. You'll hear from some of the biggest names on the Maple Leafs. But uh, not William Nylander, But apparently. not William Nylander, apparently. We'll see. He, never, he might just zip by and say, what's up? Um, then we'll have Sportsnet... Uh, Sportsnet today at noon with Jesse Rubinoff and Sam McKee to help break it down. And we'll still have the J.D. Bunkus podcast and Jay's Talk Plus in their regular time slots as well. I think the most unsavory characteristic of these latest iterations of Maple Leafs teams have been when a guy like John Tavares, you know, finds himself in a scrum and gets beat on a little bit. And there's like head down, mm-hmm. exiting the ice. No, like that's the captain of the Toronto Maple mm-hmm. Leafs who people just took liberties against all the time. And there are other players, of course, but like Tavares is one of the, uh, I think most emblematic of this, uh, that, that can't happen. And it's not going to happen on teams with Bertuzzi, Domi and Ryan Reeves. Yeah. I just can't see it. And I think that might be mo- not because of those three guys, but more so because of Bradshaw living. I think that's the one thing. If you you're on the outside, you're like that sort of thing cannot happen. And I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think that's going to be something uh, in terms of a positive change that we're going to see. It's uh, not far removed from when Sheldon Keefe called his team soft and purposeless. I don't think that they will be soft this season. The other half of that remains to be seen. And it will be interesting, as Luke mentioned, seeing if those sort of comments will be walked back. Is yeah. it a Shanahan thing? Is it a Dubas thing? We'll find out, I guess, this year. All right, more to come. Leafs Media Day just around the corner, uh, 9.30. It starts for us here. We'll have our insider, Dan Schulman, join us after the break. Game one of Yankees-Blue Jays went really well for the Blue Jays at Pretty dominant win, sweat-free in the Bronx. Uh, two more to come before they continue on a little bit of a AL East stretch to finish this season. Then we'll wrap it up with Greg Wyshynski, all in the final hour of the Fan Morning Show.